welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into the Las Vegas restaurant and bar scene and all of the fun and insanity that surrounds it. I'm Al Mancini, joined by Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson. Hey, hey, it's Jason here, and we have a big show this week. We're going to talk about the growing popularity and quality of the Las Vegas vegan scene. It's an amazing scene and it's only getting better. Uh, we're gonna take you to one of the best vegan restaurants on the Strip, Truth and Tonic at the Venetian, where we'll be joined by Diana Edelman uh, from Vegans Baby and Piccioni, the chef there at Truth and Tonic. Yes, and right now we are actually coming to you from Cassie Beach House in the new Virgin Resort. Um, we're actually sitting in a cabana poolside, which is pretty pretty damn cool way to, um, to record a <laughs> podcast, man. I I am loving this. Somebody's vaping over there on the side. I just saw we got people in the bikinis swimming. I mean, what more can you ask well, for for a workplace? I'll tell you what more I could ask for. And it's not much. It's really a minor thing. But I really like the decor with these kind of light woods and these whites. It reminds me of the island of Dr. Moreau. So I was kind of hoping <laughs> that some hybrid animal people would carry out a Marlon Brando type clothed in white that, with his little friend, you know, who was the littlest man in the world. That's what I want. Here. I was just going to say monkey butler. Because I always oh, yeah. default to wanting a monkey butler. Yeah, that, and he had him. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. the little man's name? I do not, I don't. Nelson De La Roca, and boy, could he dance and kind of play piano. I once interviewed Moby, and he was talking about how much money he had, and he said, well, yeah, I've made myself a little bit of money, but it's not life-altering. It's not like I can afford a monkey butler. <laughs> and I was like, okay, man, well, now I have set the bar for success. It's monkey butler money. And, and way to go with Moby, because he's a vegan, so uh, he would listen to this episode and probably like it. And then I really wonder if he would actually have a monkey butler based on that. Yeah, well, Moby, if you're listening, and um, or if your monkey butler can get you a copy of this, yeah. make sure you subscribe to this podcast, Monkey Butler. Um, but, but first, let's talk about what we've done over the past week. It's been another crazy, exciting week here in Las Vegas. What have you been up to, Jason? Al, I've been all over the place. Uh, I've been kind of sticking to the burbs. Uh, we've tried some stuff here at Virgin, and uh, we still have a big dinner to talk about next week, which was the Amalfi dinner. I can go over the list of places I've been, or I can let you shoot first. Well, you know, I'll shoot first. First of all, have you been back to Resorts World since we were there last week? I don't want to dwell on it too much because we did a whole episode, but I've been back like two or three times, and even you and I, Wandering around Resorts World that night, we got some great news, or interesting news, right? We saw Daniel Ontiveros, which, who we didn't know was going to be over at Carver Steak, but he was there in his Carver Steak outfit when we bumped into him. And also, I got a gift bag with a vibrator and lube from Resorts World, and I've been back to visit a few of the restaurants as well. And just to clarify, that gift bag was not from Carver Steak. <laughs> no. Or any restaurant. <laughs> no, that was from Pepper. Yeah. So, yes, if you need your... your your um, your gift that, bags full of lube and vibrators. It sounds like the most appropriate and the most inappropriate store to have in a big upscale hotel at the same time. Well, as one of my friends said, if you're buying lube, do you want the, it to be named Pepper? And I, I thought she Ooh. did have a point about that. But um, it was a cool store. I dug that. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, it was packed at Resorts World all weekend long. You know how I was talking about how much seating there is in that food court? Yeah. I still could not find a seat in the food court. Um, we managed to go <laughs> over to Marigold. Um, they were out of a few items, which, of course, is a recurring theme. And, you know, people should be aware of that. If you're going into your favorite restaurant or bar, they don't have your favorite spirit your, or whatever dish on the menu. Hey, we're still bouncing back from this COVID thing. So cut them some slack. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Al, because you and I were at the Bacchanal Buffet, which in a few weeks we'll be talking more about buffets. But when we were talking to the chef there, he was talking about how they've had to pivot based on what they can get product-wise that's sustainable at the moment. They might need, you know, 80 cases of a vegetable and they're only getting 30 cases or, you know, something like that. So everyone's, uh, you know, in movement here in Vegas, but we're rooting for people. Yes. Um, so be a little patient with people. Other things I've done, I had a lunch at Chinglish. That was great. They've got a new brunch menu. They introduced me to um, some, some dishes from that. If you guys aren't familiar, Cantonese wine bar, but they also have a kosher side restaurant, which is really wild. Um, that's up in Boca Park. So I, I highly recommend what, that what place can, to people. What was one dish that stood out for you there? Um, you know, I just love their dumplings. You know, they're the grandfather's dumpling recipe. They've got a great Cantonese chef in there who's worked at some high-end restaurants. He's the grandfather of the family, and I just love those dumplings. I start with them every meal. I did a brunch at one of our favorite brunch places in the city, which is the stove all the way out in Henderson towards Anthem. And uh, talk about where the beautiful people like to be beautiful on Sundays. That place is packed with people who want to be seen and see others. Yeah, we're going to have to do a story on the beautiful people and where they hang out. I'm thinking Melinda Shekels might be a good <laughs> guest for that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was going to be my episode. but That is ah, we'll... not, but we'll, we'll let you get their numbers after they leave. <laughs> Consensually, of course. Of course, of course, yes. Um, uh, what, what other things have we done? I know you went over to Rebellion Pizza, right? A place that I tried to go to, but they weren't open at the time. Yeah, they've expanded their hours. They're now open 11 to 9. Rebellion Pizza is a little wild, man. It is guys who helped uh, open Pizza Rock and all of Tony Gemignani, the king of pizza, the goat, as John Arena calls him from Metro Pizza, uh, all of his places out here, Little Tony's, et cetera, et cetera. It's all the way in Anthem in this tiny shopping center, and it's a tiny place in the shopping center, but they're making really great New York-style pizza. They have thick Sicilian. John told me I had lunch with John Arena there. He said it was the thing that reminded him most of his pizza his uh sicilian pizza so i really like rebellion it's worth getting to over there in um anthem some other places that i've gone to al uh i've been i've been working on this article on uh on uh charcuterie so i had to go back to the og charcuterie cureton way you can't beat it when we do a charcuterie segment we should probably have michael from cureton way on the products and the thought that he's able to put into what he's sourcing and putting together on these charcuterie boards is the best in town, I think. No, he's uh, Cureton Way is amazing, and yeah, it's a great spot to go in for a lunch, and also a great spot to go for um, for ingredients and just to make up a good snack board at home. That places, and also you'll see a lot of chefs there because they're getting a lot of their ingredients there. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can't go in there without seeing some cool chef. Um, also, man, I know we're going back into both of us have written about rock and roll in our lives and spent a, made a bit of change doing that. I hung out with Sammy Hagar this week. He's in town announcing his new residence. But, you know, the man was kind of a pioneer in that celebrity-branded spirits sphere. Um, made a ton of money off of his tequila and has gone on to rum and all of that. So while I was talking to him about music for my friends over at ABC News, I did ask him what the cocktails and what the food might be like at his residency. And I loved his response because this man knows how to party. So let me play that for can, you. Can I throw it to this? Oh, can sure. I, can we hear that clip? Right now? Uh, no. <laughs> right yeah, now, yeah. it was a Hagar reference. Oh, okay. Rich right now. Do it again, though, and I'll get into the spirit. Okay. Go ahead. Can we hear that clip right now? Now, you know, the most recent times you and I have spoken, it's not been about music. It's been about your, your spirits, brands, right? And Which one? 
Yeah, I know. It's one after another, right? So I need to ask, what kind of tie-ins at this residency? How are we gonna are we gonna be tasting whether it be Cabo Wabo or your rum or the of course the Santos? I mean any of that? How how's Absolutely. it gonna tie in? Look, I, I learned a long time ago. Back in the old days in the Fillmore and Winterland days, where everybody you know, you go see the dead, you all took acid. You took the same acid. Dead was on acid, you were on acid. It was, a, so it made everything kind of like this. You know, then everybody starts smoking weed and certain other, con you know, you go to a, you know, an Allman Brothers concert, everybody's smoking weed, right? Uh, so for me, it's always been, we drink tequila, tequila wabo, and everybody drinks the same thing, and I'm drinking the same thing, and it really kind of makes a, a deeper experience for everybody. So when I bring people to a residency, they're gonna have to serve food, they're gonna have to cater uh, uh, the food to the event, you know, the, the uh, Mexican food and stuff, tacos. Uh, before the show, people, you know, have that. We're gonna have all of my booze, you know, the uh, Beach Bar Rum. I have an, another uh, Beach Bar cocktails coming, you know, which are rum based spritz, uh, sparkling rum based cocktails. So, uh, you know, RTDs. So I'm doing that too. So we'll have those. We'll have uh, Santo tequila drinks. We'll have, so everybody will be, it makes for a deeper experience. Like, in other words, you know, you come to my house, you're gonna have a better experience than if you, I go to your house. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you really want to know what yeah. Sammy's all about, you got to come to my house. So if I'm going to open my house to you, we're going to serve all the stuff. The music we play in front will be my music. The way the place is decorated, the way it looks and smells and feels, it's going to be, uh, you're going to have the, a deeper experience. So apparently no acid and no weed at this particular show, but a lot of, of rum and tequila. I think you'll get to the acid and weed there <laughs> at some point. Well, I had a quick question on that. He said the music's going to be his. Is he going to go deeper into the Van Halen catalog, do you think? He's going to go deep into everything. He said he's going to change it up every night. He's going to have a lot of his friends just show up. He really wants it to be like his birthday bashes down in Cabo, where he, he does the set list based on who shows up that night. Yeah, those are like legendary shows, and uh, I'm going to hurry over there because I can't drive 55 <laughs> yes. to get there. <laughs> oh, can we cut to Rich now, maybe without yeah. some, some Van Halen puns and you guys, Hagar puns? What are you been up to, Rich. You, you go to all the cool, hip, happening things. You're on the first name with all the chefs and everybody. I went to the Palm. And I am not ashamed. I've uh, been a Palm guy for a zillion years when I lived in D.C. I've been to the one here in Vegas uh, several times. I have a friend who comes over, and there was about a half a dozen of us out front. They come there four or five times a year. It's always dependable. They changed hands. Uh, it was a family-run private organization, about 30 restaurants, since the 1920s when the Bon, Bazi and Ganzi families came from Parma, and the guy mispronounced it and called it Palm. Says, oh, let's just call it Palm. Uh, now it's owned by Landry's. Quality's still pretty good. A couple of other new things on the menu, and it's still the Palm, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Did you make any big deals there, Rich? Do any big business deals? I heard about a lot of deals because the guy who hosts me is, he has not one but two jets. Ooh, well, yeah. then we're going to borrow one of his, and <laughs> yeah. we'll go on the road. That sounds uh, like fun. I mean, right. you can't use both jets at the yeah. same time, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what Rich just told me, Jason, which I didn't know, was that you can actually get your picture on the wall at the Palm using, like, frequent flyer miles, frequent Palm diner miles. Like, you get points, yeah. and then you can get that. I thought you had to be famous or something, but I that guess you just too. have to eat a lot of dead cows. Well, what, what walls are you on, Al? You have your head shrunk at the Golden Tiki. I do have that. I think that's about it. I'm no, trying to get my grandmother's picture up on the wall at um, 
at, at Vincent Rotolo's restaurant, Good Pie, down yeah, on Main Street. Which is always open, too. I think you're already up at Bagel Mania, too, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. I am up at Bagel yeah. Mania. Wow. Yeah. Now, I'm up at Johnny C's, which is such a great breakfast spot. I'm uh, up there, too. Here. Yeah, so oh. you're up there. Uh, I'm at the Ridgewood Pancake House in Ridgewood, New Jersey, because I finished the eating challenge of giant pancakes. They thought they could hold me down, but I took them down. And, but my favorite one isn't even mine. My grandfather is on the celebrity wall at Katz's Delicatessen in New York City, where all the old oh, yeah. celebrities would go That's in and kibitz. Cool. And, you know, uh, Milton Katz, the owner, was always a fan. My grandfather's a comedian for over 60 years and was always a yeah. fan. And it was great to sit and eat those giant sandwiches and see his picture on the wall while I was eating. So them. being on the do not overserve wall at <laughs> Sun City's Summerland Coffee Shop doesn't count? No. Sorry, Rich, oh, you're okay. out on this. I used to, used to work right down the street from Katz's at CBGB on the Bowery, and I never ate at Katz's my entire life, so mm. wow. it's kind of a drag. Um, you mentioned eating challenges. We're going to get to that because we are here at Virgin. It's gorgeous. Like I said, we're poolside. We're in a cabana. Um, I was here just a few weeks ago for the opening party, and Virgin kind of opened slowly. Um, you know, they, they given COVID, they kind of did it in phases. They're Big Bash was a few weeks back, and I spoke to a few of the chefs. So before we have some of their chefs join us here, I just wanted to play a few of the things. And we're going to start with um, Chef Chris from Night Market. And you and I had just ate there, but you know, Chris Chris told, told me a couple of things about um, about the food he has here. Let's, let's hear the first cut, and then I want to talk to you about that. I like to think of it as a, uh, a natural wine bar where that happens to serve Thai food. You know, I'm a chef. I think our menu is rocking, um, but to me, it's almost like, like that's a minimum. It's gotta be good, obviously, but we really have a focus on the drinks and the food is really meant to facilitate the party. The natural wine, the awesome cocktails that we have, the whole vibe, the food is really meant to facilitate that. It's not, it sounds weird to say this as a chef, but it's not meant to be like center stage. You know, it's really about, people coming together it's about the company that you're in it's about having a party and having a good time and our food is you know um hopefully it's so good that you you know you don't notice it you know it's just sort of like you know you're the star not the food have you ever heard a chef that modest that says like come to drink the wine and yeah we have food no that's a weird answer and um you know we have been talking about how beautiful this setting is at cassie i'm gonna say at our visit at night market the the biggest downfall is the setting there. It looks like an old Vegas coffee shop. It doesn't look like a fun party vibe. And I'm not trying to be tough on it because the food is good. I'm sure the wines are good. I just had a Thai tea that night. Yeah. But we had a great time. We had great service. But the, the setting does not uh, encompass a party setting that he's trying to talk about. That vibe is not put forth in that area. Well, I have. That's the old Foo space or FU, whatever you want to call it, um, when this place was the Hard Rock. And I have seen that place really crush it as a party spot, you know, during the Hard Rock days. So I'm hoping that, you know, if we come back during party hours, it will definitely be partying. Um, you know, while I had Chef Chris, by the way, I did, because you and I don't really drink much, we certainly don't drink a lot of wine, I, I asked him if we should drink Riesling with Thai food, because that's what everybody says, and of course he shot me down really, really quickly that I was just um, going with the cliche, so for the wine drinkers out there and the Thai fans out there, I did want to share that cut if we could. We have some Rieslings, but we take sort of a different approach, you know, we have a lot of Chenin Blanc. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, like people don't think about red wine with Thai food a lot, but we have a lot of like high energy, kind of low alcohol, really 
really gluggable, like delicious light reds, and we have a focus on that. But um, you know, for everyone that is really like fixated on Riesling with Thai food, I would say you know like you know take take a ride with us. You know, have some Chenin Blanc, and I think you know there's a lot of the similar kind of traits where it could be super dry, it could be off dry, it could be sweet, it could be aromatically very different. So, yes, so there, there's the advice. I'm completely clueless when it comes to what wines you should be drinking. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny is we have such a, um emphasis of Thai restaurants with great wine programs here in Vegas between Lotus of Siam and Lamai. And I'm going to be honest, I go to Thai restaurants to eat Thai food. So maybe I'm not the target audience, but I like the food there. That's the thing. I think he undersells his food because I think the food at Night Market was really, really good. And your daughter liked it and I liked it. And I'm a wuss. It was a little too spicy for me. And I asked them to do it like on a two on a scale of one to ten. But that's just because I'm a, I'm a pussy, basically, well, you know? Well, Al, you don't have to give me a Riesling to go back because I enjoyed the food oh so much. God, it is in fact a pun fest here today. Uh, another one of the chefs I spoke to at the opening party, our old friend Chef Patrick Munster, he's at um, One Steakhouse, which used to be MB Steak. And you spoke about eating challenges, right? And I know a lot of a lot of people love the big giant over the top, Instagrammable, only in Vegas moment. And over at one, which they also had at MB, they had that $1,200 huge tomahawk steak, which you, you know, it's got to be a bachelor party type of thing if you're coming with a bunch of your friends. So I asked Patrick, um, you know, how he picks out the, the cuts for that $1,200 gigantic um, steak tomahawk. And here's what he had to say. The menu says like 16 pounds. I get them in, I get them bigger. Like, just because they're more impressive. Like, <laughs> That's what she said. Exactly. So it's like 18 to 20. Um, and then I have my meat purveyor. I'm like, I know you have a wall of ribeyes. Go pick me out the most obnoxious, stupid looking one. And so I was like, give me the stupidest looking bones. They're huge. But when you get a big ribeye like that, you're going to have more fat. You're going to have more marbling. It's going to be more tender. And... You know, it just comes out to the table. I carve it up, and people are gnawing on the bone. I've actually done that. Have you done that $1,200 tomahawk with a group of friends? I haven't, but it sounds fun. Uh, also, I have to make note here, Al, you can't knock my puns if you're going to go with it. That's what she said during an interview. I mean, when somebody just says it's more impressive when it's bigger, what else are you going to say? I'm not going to answer that right now. Hey, Rich, get the Jets fired up. There's a $1,200 steak challenge over yeah. there. You can bring your crew yeah. over there next time. <laughs> we can Absolutely. fly it to somebody on one of those private jets. We do, we do have some stuff with um, also with Chef Todd English. I'm hoping that we save that for the next segment. But for now, I, uh, yes, Jason. I just want to say I'm happy Patrick is back in business over there at one. He was such a talented MB steak. And talking about food challenges, he told me he's going to make St. Louis style pizza one of these days. So get ready, all you Provel cheese lovers. <laughs> okay. Um, look, we're not done with our deep dive here at Virgin. We are in deep dive, another pun, because we're by the pool, right? Um, there you go. Not finished with our pool dive here at Virgin. Later on, we're going to have some tape of Todd English. We're also going to chat with Chef Dave. David Worley, and I'm hoping we're going to get some food here at Cassie because the kitchens are just getting going right now. But up next, Al, it's our deep dive into vegan food with Diana and Chef Pete at Truth and Tonic. This is Food and Loathing. 
I'm Jonathan Jossel. Who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm the mayor. Actually, I'm the CEO of the Plaza Hotel and Casino. We're located on the corner of Main Street. That's also the name of our podcast. The only podcast produced by a Vegas hotel. That introduction right there is bigger than any other introduction. If you're missing Vegas, in between visits, or just Vegas curious, I absolutely love, love, love to play slots. Join the fun every week right here on our podcast on the corner of Main Street. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini with Jason Harris, and we're joining you for this segment from Truth and Tonic, one of the two dining options that are actually within the Canyon Ranch Spa at the Venetian and the Palazzo. One of the things that separates Truth and Tonic from the pan- from the Canyon Ranch Grill, excuse me, is that while both serve health-focused cuisine, Truth and Tonic's menu is 100% plant-based. And that is the reason we're here, to discuss the plant-based, or vegan, if you will, dining scene in Las Vegas. It's a topic I recently wrote about in the RJ Magazine. That was the June issue, but you can still find it online at ReviewJournal.com. Joining us this morning, we have two of the people who helped me with that story. Truth and Tonic chef Pete Gioni and the creator of VegansBaby.com and publisher of the Las Vegas Vegan Dining Guide, Diana Edelman. Did I get through all of that? And did I pronounce your name properly, Diana? No, I messed it up, didn't I? But you, you correct me on air. Please do. <laughs> it's Edelman. Edelman. God, I'm so sorry. Okay. I've only known you for 100 years. No worries. Jason's on his phone now. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm good. I knew her last name was Edelman. That was awesome of you to know that. Pete. Chef, Chef Pete, how are you today, sir? I'm great, and I think the real big story is here that you got my name right, which is like happens 2% of the time. So you could probably get her name more often, but with mine, it's impossible. But Gioni, if you say it with your hands, you got it right. There you go, Gione. Is it? Uh, well, you know, Mancini, the last name, so I always say I'm it sort of a together. non-practicing Italian. <laughs> but um, yes, so look, we're very excited to be here to chat about plant-based cuisine. Um, A lot of people call me all the time. They say, Al, where can I eat in Vegas if I'm vegan? Where can I go? And I'm like, well, first of all, you have to go to Vegan Baby and vegansbaby.com where Diana runs it down. But Diana, your book, you have over 100 listings of places that are either 100% vegan, like Truth and Tonic, where we're sitting right now, or that are vegan friendly. Um, And when I was doing this article for the RJ, a lot of people were telling me they think that the the plant-based dining scene here in Las Vegas is better than just about any place in the country. Were they exaggerating? or So, so Pete, Diana, what do you guys think? Well, it's definitely come a long way the past five years since I launched Vegans Baby. We have a lot of options right now. I think there's more than 20 vegan restaurants in town. In terms of vegan friendly, it's just absurd how many restaurants these days have vegan options. In comparison to other cities, we're up there with like in LA and New York. Um, Not quite there yet, but there's definitely for 
the size of our town, there are a ton of options uh, that just didn't exist before. So it's up and coming. It's growing constantly. We just had a new ghost kitchen open. She just expanded from California. This is her first Las Vegas outlet. So solely vegan. Now we have a vegan soul food spot in town. And it just, we're bringing in two vegan fast food plates, two locations of plant power fast food coming in this, this year and next year. So it continues to just grow and thrive. How about you, Chef Pete? When you're not working, do you have a hard time finding places to eat plant-based? No, actually, there's so many there's so many great options, and of course, people think that I cook gourmet meals for myself all the time. But by the time I get done with the day, it really it, it's uh, it's not always the case, and, and there's there's great options. Taco Tarian is right down the street from me, so I, I frequent there a lot. And there's regular restaurants with with uh, vegan options all over the place as well, which is nice because you know I, I get bored of the same thing over and over again, and I don't like repetition. So. That variety here is really what, what it makes it easy to continue, makes it enjoyable, makes it exciting is to try something new and to see the different sushi places that are out there. Chikiyu, they're, I mean, they're top notch. And, and it's whether you're vegan or not, the food at Chikiyu, for example, is, is phenomenal. It's just outstanding cuisine. And with Truth and Tonic, we try and make it approachable to every diner. And to break down those walls and those barriers, you don't have to show an identification card that you're vegan to come in here. It's open to everybody and make it exciting. And that's why there's frittatas on the menu and things that people are used to seeing in other restaurants that are willing to try it. And the idea is when you leave, you don't even miss the meat. Yeah, and Jason and I are far from vegans, and we're chowing down on this food that you brought out for us today, which is delicious. So, yeah, you don't have to be a vegan to enjoy this place. Yeah, and I don't think you need an identification card because vegans are always identifying themselves by saying <laughs> out loud. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They have to announce it when they enter a room. It's, it's the yeah. old joke, how do, you, how do you know if someone's vegan? Oh, don't worry, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but you guys are talking about all these different options that we have in town, and I love the expansion of the varieties of cuisine, what are we missing still from the vegan scene? What do we still need here to put us to that next level? Vegan fine dining. Plant-based fine dining, I should say. No mock meats, no cheeses or anything, just or no, no mock cheeses, just full on made from plants fine dining. Okay, so now here's the thing. We had one, but then they also threw a monkey wrench that you couldn't see your food, right? You guys know what I'm talking uh, about. Blackout, <laughs> yes. But Blackout actually, so they, they're considered fine dining, but they use a lot of Gardein products still. So I'm talking like to appeal to the people because now the vegan movement has become a lot more health conscious. It's, it's well, the plant-based movement, I should say. So people are looking for the pure like no processed food gluten-free you know they can modify things a little bit more and you have a lot more control if you have fully plant-based no, nothing processed no mock meats in that menu now with that i think diana you and i were talking about the vegan menu over at edo tapas and um i think that's probably going to be the closest thing to what people can find right now who are looking for that kind of high end, uh, but also bang for your buck getting the yeah, best out. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, when it comes to deals like that, like EDO is by far that tasting menu is exquisite and it's it's affordable. Uh, Sparrow and Wolf has a beautiful um, plant forward uh, options. And then obviously there's Chicky, which is not necessarily fine, fine dining, but it's, it's about as upscale as you get for vegan here. And 
do you think because you're talking about this vegan fine dining thing do you think now with the 11 madison park kind of rebrand you know the most famous number one restaurant in the world in new york city going all plant-based with their new menu do you think we're gonna feel the ripples out here maybe we'll get some of that i hope so i you know i look at the strip and truth and tonic was the first vegan vegan option here and it's been here for almost two years now and nothing else has come yet so i'm hoping that down the line there can be more options i would think that if a a high-end place like an 11 madison park were to come here it would probably do very well on the strip um so fingers crossed now when when you're asking for plant-based fine dining Mm -hmm. uh, you're so you want a restaurant that will only be plant-based right you're not okay with them just because you know i think about it your bear keller was one of the first fine dining chefs to ever do an all vegan tasting menu um he did it 30 years ago in san francisco he did it out here all the time that he was here at fleur de lis he's no longer in las vegas of course but um thomas keller who's right here in the the building that we're in also if you go to french laundry um, or per se, they do a plant-based tasting menu as well. So, but that's not enough. You want one that's just exclusively plant-based and I can't get a dead animal in there if no. I try. No, no sneaking anything for? in. Uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, even 11 Madison Park, they have, they're still offering like I think a honey and then a dairy milk the, just, just in case people want it. Like at that point, I just don't, I don't know why they don't just like not have that on the menu, but yeah, no fully plant-based, no nothing other than plants on that menu. You were talking about not, not processed and things like that, but you did mention gluten-free. So I'm curious, you know, and, and our producer here is asking, um, isn't that processed? Isn't gluten-free food automatically kind of processed food by, by definition? No, well, not necessarily no. because you're talking about something that's made with wheat that has the gluten protein in it. And so we're talking using substitutes that do not have that, but it could be a potato starch. It could be a combination of flours that don't have the gluten actually in it. And, and there's simply ways to just distract you from not really needing that. Because if you're talking a lot of desserts, they would be gluten-free and you need substitutes for that, for the different flours and combinations of flours. But to be gluten-free is, is fairly simple depending how you structure your menu. And if you're trying to replicate something with gluten, yes, that's tough. If you're trying to distract away from it, just like we do with, with Truth and Tonic, where we don't have meat products, we're distracting you away from that and using things that, that will, will take your mind off of it, the presentations and the flavors and, and the, the dishes that we offer will, will do that. So I think that if you're saying you're gonna open a gluten-free bakery, yeah, you might run into some of that, but, uh, but if you're having you know, gluten-free restaurants and plant-based restaurants and fine dining, is, 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 is coming. It's, it, there's a demand for it, and I think that restaurateurs are just waiting to make sure that they could be self-sustaining and profitable by running those menus. And, and to do that, there needs to be diners that are demanding that. And the demand is, is there. We see it with Truth and Tonic over time, how it, we went from a traditionally not vegan menu and changed over. We're busier now than we were before. Diners are looking for that. They're seeking it out. Now they're coming from other hotels to find us. And with the rapidly growing market of plant-based diners is, is one thing. Now add in COVID and how people weren't prepared for it and their bodies weren't prepared for it and it scared the crap out of them. They're thinking, I got to be healthier. I got to be ready for whatever comes my way because, yeah, I'm not immune to anything. And I think that now people have created that awareness to themselves that they need to eat better and fuel could be, or food could be so powerful and change the environment of your body to make it stronger and make it more resistant to these things are trying to invade us. That, uh, that, that demand for diners and to be profitable as a restaurateur, I think we're there. And, and it just takes the right, the location, the exposure, and to get the, 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 and the experience of, of flavors and cooking and the passion for it into driving that. 
put that together, and I think you'll have a great dining experience. Uh, Chef, one thing you're talking about, and I'm glad that is a major topic of this conversation, is we're talking about plant-based and utilizing the natural flavors of ingredients as opposed to when veganism was taking off out here. It was, where can I get a fake sweet and sour chicken or a fake, you know, uh, burger? Like, personally, I I hate uh, veggie burgers that try to mimic hamburgers. I just want something that tastes good, Yeah. you know? So... Um, has there been a shift now into just kind of focusing on natural flavors, natural ingredients, and not trying to mimic meats? Yeah, there is a shift. But let's talk about the purpose of, of what a mimicked meat is. And, and for me, in my opinion on this, is that when you go from a meat eater's diet, and whatever your motivation is to go to a plant-based diet or to become vegan and to be more involved with, with animal cruelty and, and, and the other politics involved with being vegan, there's a transition period. The people are accustomed to what they know growing up, what they were influenced by their parents or whoever cooked for them. Now we're trying to undo what they've learned as a kid. Their entire life, and at some point, they're like, okay, I'm ready to shift. How? What do we do in the meantime? The Just Egg product it helps you replace, is an egg replacement. The, the different garden meats and the impossible meats and those things like that, people, you know, they want something quick when they go out. What do they do? Because they're trying to stick with their new lifestyle. So that transition is going to be full of processed meats because it's what's common and what's identifiable and, and what will help them motivate them to get through it until they can navigate using and cooking and eating without those, those ingredients. Because to say that you're going to be able to sustain yourself on vegan processed food and to be healthy is a huge question mark. There's a huge red flag on that because it's how long can you actually live on that stuff, any kind of processed food, vegan or not, without seeing some kind of health side effects. So there is, there is a purpose. And then as, as anything with desserts, it's, it's also where it's an occasional thing. And it's enjoyable because it's occasional and it's not your primary, primary food source. Well, Chef, I think you raise a really important point. You know, we talk about people who go plant-based or who go vegan. Um, and there are a lot of different reasons that we do. Some people do it for health reasons. And I'm going to ask you guys what brought you to this. But there's, of course, there's health reasons. There's animal cruelty reasons. There's environmental reasons. There's a lot of concern. Somebody's making a smoothie behind me, which sounds delicious. Um, but I think why you go vegan and that your reasoning is pretty important to the type of things you're willing to eat. You know, I am an omnivore. I will eat, you know, every part of every animal. And I think the cuter animals taste better than the not so cute <laughs> ones. But uh, as a general rule, but I do believe we We'd all be healthier if we ate less animal products, right? So for somebody like me who is trying to cut down, there's no reason for me to go and eat Impossible or Beyond or anything like that because if I want some meat, I'm going to go get some good meat. But somebody who's, who's got an animal cruelty, that's the reason, you know, that they want to stop eating meat, then it makes a ton of sense for them to eat Impossible, you know, things like that. So, Chef, I know here at Truth and Tonic, you come to it come at it from a very specific reason, which is health-based, a little different than Diana, who I believe is more of an animal rights kind of person. So could you talk about why the health aspect of veganism is not only important to you, but to serving here in a spa where people come to be healthy? Yeah. Well, Kenny Ranch is a 42-year-old health and wellness company, and we've always focused our ingredients on using some things that will improve health. Before I joined Kenya Ranch in 2015, I was a, a, ran casinos and fed 16,000 people a day and, and, and spent a lot of money on food. And we talked about quality. We talked about flavors and presentations and perceived value and all that stuff. We didn't talk about nutrition. Um, I started cooking for privately as, uh, as a chef for people with cancer, and, and I used food to help them fight their disease. Some are given uh, a 2% chance to live another three years. Some are only given three months to three years to live. And, and that was over 10 years ago, and they're both still alive. 
one of them, and, uh, the, the one with a 2% chance to live past 2012 has never had cancer again. Food is very powerful if used the right way. There's ingredients that'll hurt your health, there's ingredients that are neutral to your health, and there's ingredients that'll improve your health. So I try and use those ingredients in the middle two ranges. The downside with animal products is that, you know, the, the, the function inside of our body that filters out disease, that filters out uh, pesticides and preservatives in our food and the endothelium function in our blood, uh, in, in our veins is really what's affected by animal products besides cholesterol and sticking to our veins and clogging, and clogging our, our, uh, our, our blood flow and all that and, and, and heart attacks. And, um, so that, that creates the Swiss cheese in, in that filter function and it allows different diseases to flow through our veins into our muscle tissues and that's where it starts to breed and to grow and to cause all the problems that we're finding. Now keep in mind in this country, somebody dies of a cardiovascular, cardiovascular related death every 38 seconds. It's the number one killer in the US. One in two men and one in three women are diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. That's over 1.6 million people a year in our country that are being diagnosed with cancer. Food has a big impact on that. Now you might not say that food is a cure for these things, but it could keep you alive long enough until there is one. Um, so. As we, as we get away from the specifics, I know Rich is letting me know we're coming close to the end time-wise here. But I, here's the question I get all the time. I want to eat out with my friends. Um, I, you know, not everybody's a vegan. We want to go to this fantastic restaurant. They'll na you know, we'll name drop great restaurants that they want to go to. Will I be able to be taken care of? I used to tell people five years ago, yeah, call the restaurant a day or two in advance. Let them know that you're vegan. Let them know you're coming. They'll make a special tasting menu just for you. I don't even know if that's necessary anymore. It strikes me that in Las Vegas, in a hospitality city like Las Vegas, when you go to a white tablecloth restaurant, a fine dining restaurant on the Strip, if you're a vegan or a plant-based diner, you don't have to worry or think in advance. But maybe I'm being naive because that's not my lifestyle. What would you guys advise, the two of you as the experts of dining out in Las Vegas and the plant-based lifestyle, do you need to give people advance warning? Do you need to worry about whether they're going to be able to take care of you? Or is everybody on board at this point? I think it depends where you're going. There are quite a few restaurants on the Strip that have adapted and have vegan options or are very quick to accommodate. Others just don't. Um, like Vegan's Baby is a great guide for that because I've gone through and I know what restaurants in on the Strip are vegan friendly and what restaurants off Strip are vegan friendly. Um, but there's still a bit of a way to go. So if you're going to eat and you want especially a higher end experience and you can't and you go look online and you can't find if there's vegan options, always call. And I, I've always found, by the way, if you call a restaurant 48 hours in advance and you say like even a steakhouse, you know, when you when Carnivino used to be in this building, Nicole Brisson was the chef there. I, you know, I, I know if you called her and told her 48 hours in advance, I'm coming in having a vegan, you would have the best meal in the restaurant that day. Absolutely. Because she would have gone out, bought special ingredients for you. And I think a lot of people still do that. They love to cater to customers with special special dietary needs and choices if they care enough to call ahead, right? Yeah. Yeah, my dad was, <clears throat> still is, he's a vegetarian and he's in the medical field. So he was always on these, you know, kind of steakhouse dinners in the field. And he said all the time he would always get the best meals at, at steakhouses because now you're getting the chefs to challenge themselves to do something out of what they have to do on the day to day. So... Um, there is great food to be had on all levels of veganism. And also I'm noticing this trend of like people advertising vegan junk food a lot more. What, what do you think about that? I mean, 
if you want to eat vegan junk food, eat vegan junk food. It's especially as as Chef was saying, the people typically that have gone vegan for animals aren't necessarily that concerned with what they're consuming. They just want to have the dishes that they used to eat replaced by things that are now animal free. So that's a very big thing. Um, Vegas has a ton of vegan junk food, vegan comfort food here now. I mean, most of the most of the vegan restaurants in town are that, you know, you're going to get the fries, the burgers, the mock meats, everything like that. Um, but as more people are aware of like animal agriculture and things like that, and they're making the decision to opt for that lifestyle because of specifically animals, um, there's a lot more people that want those options still. Whereas you go to the health people, people that are going plant-based, that are more health conscious for their bodies, for fighting disease and things like that, they're gonna be not looking for the vegan junk food. There's, there's two things on that. First of all, there's a there's a documentary coming out called Vegan Impossible that I interviewed in. It was filmed here in Las Vegas about a, a vegan journey of processed foods and eating out fast food uh, for 60 days. And to see the transition of this gentleman between before and after is very impressive. And, and it's actually very eye-opening. Um, and, and and so I think that um, when when you go vegan enough for, for, for whatever reason, when we're talking about animal, um, animal activists and animal rights and protecting the animals, here's what happens. If you stop eating animals, your body is gonna heal and be a lot better. If you, if you do that, then the, the animals and the earth itself are gonna heal itself as well. And the animals will be left alone and they'll be protected and it all falls into place. So if we don't take care of us, if we don't stick around long enough, then we're not gonna be here to help the animals and to help the earth. And, and so we can make a bigger impact on everybody if we start by taking care of us first. Okay, so I want to go around real quick before we wrap up. Favorite kind of hidden gem vegan restaurant. Diana, you just took me to Pots Egyptian, so I'm going to put in a plug for that. That was just outstanding. Um, certainly nothing seemed like fast food in there. Everything was made with love. A lot of dishes you're not going to get anywhere else, and that is over on... It's Charleston and Rainbow. Okay, so that's my plug for Undiscovered Vegan Gen. Jason, do you have any place? Yeah, I'm not going to say I'm going to go the opposite way, and give you a place that's not vegan but has an amazing vegan dish and we've eaten there before it's black sheep jamie tran what she does is that couscous and those veggies and you can get some grilled tofu on there or whatever you want that's an amazing dish that like is crave worthy and the scallion pancakes there and she can do the turmeric crepes vegan too so good yeah that's so good that's what i meant i guess (laughs) diana undiscovered place that people need to i mean it's not necessarily undiscovered but chick you um, the yeah. vegan sushi is just, they're doing such creative things over there. Chef John Lee is just so talented. Also the best place for Instagrammable vegan Yeah. Although the shots that I took today right here, Chef Pete, these are beautiful dishes you brought out. So you might give um, Chikyu a run for the money. but um, the, Good, the good chick- save, Al. I'll feed, I'll feed you again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And Chef, how about you? Any place you want people to try? You know, Ch- Chikyu absolutely is probably one of my favorite. Taco-terian, I think, is, is for the more simplistic casual you know several times a week kind of place i think that's great and then also the the tasting menu at edio tapas was was phenomenal I, I think that the servers and the presentations the effort they put into it was well thought out they're well trained well executed and it's in a very i would say kind of unexpected location 
Great. Thank you all. Let's remember you can go to vegansbaby.com and you can see what Diana is recommending this week. And Chef Pete here at Truth and Tonic. And man, this place is hopping. So do you need, need a reservation to get into Truth and Tonic at Canyon Ranch Spot, the Venetian and Palazzo? These days, we never really required them to get in here besides the pandemic when it was a requirement. I suggest it though, because we're getting busier and busier and we're not the biggest restaurant on the Strip, but, uh, so, but it's definitely, definitely suggested. Great vegan conversation, thanks to Diana and Chef Pete. We'll be back from our cabana at Cassie Beach House at the Virgin Resort. This is Food and Loathing. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well. That awesome movie year on all the socials and awesome moviejear.com so please like us subscribe and uh, if you do like us give us a five star rating because we love you And we are back at Cassie Beach House in the Virgin Resort, the brand new Virgin Resort. And joining us in our poolside cabana is executive chef David Worley. Chef, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you here. Um, you know, I think when I first met you, you were cooking at Le Cirque in Bellagio. Is yeah, that, that correct? That was quite some time ago, actually. It was funny enough. Yesterday I had a, a dinner with chefs and uh, we were, uh, you know, some of my sous chefs were there and, and we were trying to count years. It's, it's been quite some time now I'm around in Vegas. I had a little departure in between Le Cirque, going to Miami to just get exposed more uh, into a role uh, in a hotel, you know, a five-star, uh, five-diamond hotel at the time. And I uh, came back right after uh, at the Manor in Oriental, yeah. And then you've been on the Strip. You were on the Strip after that. You were over at Aria and Vidar, Aria, correct? Yes, yes, yes. And then you decided to come off Strip, and you are running a lot of cool restaurants directly here at Las Vegas. You're doing the kitchens at Commons Club, the kitchen at Commons Club, yes. correct? You're also running the poolside food. You're doing the room service, the juice bar. Um, but that is all a little bit of a stretch from a man who is a master chef of France, fine dining, Las Vegas Strip. So what made you decide to go off? Strip Beach, um, excuse me, Off Strip Boutique Hotel, excuse me, and do things that are a little less of the white tablecloth fine dining scene. Well, I, I, I realized, you know, that I get to that point in my career where I think I, I needed to be exposed a little bit more to casual uh, dining. Uh, the idea was with uh, Aria was just to be in a setup where there is um, a lot of offerings in food and beverage to have exposure and uh, now it was time really to to look a little bit more at the casual aspect of what we do and uh, find my marks there so that as I grow in my career basically I'm going to be able to, to be a proficient at both the fine dining aspect the more casual aspect but also I have to say with Virgin what excited me the most was really the that revolutionary, in a way, uh, uh, approach of uh, hotellerie in general. Not just the food and beverage aspect, but very much, you know, uh, how Virgin was able to put in practice a lot of the things we all have talked about and we think it's, it's normal, we should do, but that haven't yet happened. You know, they were, I remember when I visited the first property, uh, that uh, opening the, 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 
the door of your uh, room with a, a phone was already something embedded inside of the, the DNA of the, the, the company where everybody was just talking about it. It was just a trend at the time that, that maybe one day we will do, but no one had, had adopted it. Uh, I love the, the idea of uh, street pricing with the minibar. I always thought this is a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> we all think that, isn't it? But, but it's such an easy way to, 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 to bring some profitability. And, and, and being able to do that with Virgin, I think it, this is the right choice. This is the future of, of our uh, profession. Um, I like the no resort fee. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, uh, a very interesting approach basically altogether. And I wanted to be part of that at the early stage because uh, I, 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 I've got many years to, to work and I think things are moving very fast and uh, you want to be exposed to the right, uh, um, the right concept. With a forward-thinking brand like that, how does that play into your mindset when you're creating menus for that brand? So it really depends re uh, uh, what venue uh, to, to begin with. I think uh, uh, what I learned through uh, this opening is you've got to have uh, the full panel of restaurant open. Uh, so for, for instance, I, I do manage uh, Kitchen and Commons Club. And uh, the idea is not to repeat yeah, or, or, or cross over with the same dishes. And, and that, just, just so people know, the Kitchen of the Commons Club, that's your 24-hour restaurant, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, correct? Exactly, exactly. And, and so a few things we realize uh, very quickly now is just, uh, okay, um, Cassie has a couple of dishes that we have on the menu, you know, um, and, and there's no reason we have both the same dishes. So I'm going to reinterpret the menu on my side. So this way I'm, I'm a different option uh, when the guests look at the, the restaurant so um, you know the, the now that we are open we have a better 360 view of what really needs to happen for example with kitchen at commons club how are we going to treat it is it going to be a hundred percent the cafe restaurant is it going to be more a diner because we also realize that uh, most of our clientele uh, w we we capture fully all breakfast in, in the building in the morning so that's our big meal period and that's how the menu should build itself around and then we have the late night crowd and we haven't had the entertainment portion yet uh, hitting us really fully yes we had some boxing match uh, a couple of concerts a few uh, fun events uh, starting now in in the building but once we get hit by that entertainment full on, I think that's where it's going to reveal itself. That yep. this, those are the two meal periods we need to yep. really focus well, on. Once you have those late night crowd coming in after a concert in the, the concert venue, <laughs> you're going to have to, the late night, the drunk and the partying, that's yeah. going to be a very different vibe. So. Yes. It's so playful. I remember back in the Hard Rock days at Mr. Lucky's, you had that off the menu steak and shrimp 777 special. So Worth yeah. every penny of $7.77. Right, right. So you can play a little you can uh, have a whimsical feel to some of the things here. yes and we're gonna work on, on, on some things the idea here is not to reproduce what was happening before I think we want to be a departure from lucky seven but, but also we got to listen to what the guests want and uh, and that's what we're really working on so now we're on in this second stage now there's the opening and then the after opening the aftermath and that's what we're doing we're really reviewing all the concept that I have under my belt uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to approach that? You know, but to answer really the question, when you come from really a setup where you've been doing fine dining and uh, you, you're going to do something more casual in a way, um, 
you can approach it exactly the same way, I think. Um, first, you're going to have to respect a little bit of seasonality when you do your menu. I think this is very important. That's a trend. That's something, uh, thank God, it become a trend. You mm. know, the, the guests are more and more educated with that. Uh, you're going to practice technique that uh, allows you to have consistency, I think. Uh, the big difference, for example, at Kitchen and Commons Club, it's the volume, yes? We're, we're going to do 600 covers in the morning in two hours. And, and how do you make sure that your poached egg is always perfect? Well, you cook it sous vide at 63 degrees, you crack it last minute in the, in the water, and there's no, no room for mistake. You make a Hollandaise in a siphon, and it'll never dry or crust on top, you know, or you'll run out of it. And so I think this is really what I bring into perspective there. Um, there's no real difference in many ways. You just want to go fresh. And, and also one, one thing is uh, the big difference I find it between fine dining and, and, and doing the food at, at Kitchen Commons Club is if someone asks me for a, a burger, we all had a burger. Yeah, we all know what a burger should test and we all have an idea of what we would put inside of a burger. So is your burger good or not? That, <laughs> right. That's really at the end of the day. Really so do what you make a good burger, chef? I think we do a good <laughs> burger. You know, we, we start with really the ingredient. I, I believe in, uh, for me, a good burger is chuck 25% fat. That's my opinion, you know. So far, it, it, it didn't prove me wrong, you know, <laughs> with the feedback I had. Uh, we do a, an aioli that is like a bearnaise, but it's not a hot bearnaise, you know. So it, on there, there's a little bit of a French take, and, and so far we've been very successful. But I have one last question for you, because I looked on the website for Virgin, and it describes the kitchen at Commons Club as an English brasserie. <laughs> do they have brasseries in England? I, you, you know, you're the Frenchman, you tell me. <laughs> no, they don't, they, don't have, they don't have a brasserie. So, so uh, the, really, the, the, um, I think what, what we mentioned it as a contemporary American eatery with British brasserie influence, and I think that, that was more a nod to our... Uh, our heritage. Uh, Virgin comes from England. Uh, Mr. Branson is, is, is a is a sir uh, yeah. back in England, and so we wanted to put a couple of items, you know, that that they're really uh, British. So we do a, a fish and chips, you know, uh, and 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 I had a, quite a few British actually get all around the table tasting <laughs> the fish, and I, I felt under pressure at, at the time, you know. <laughs> uh, we did a Dutch baby that is kind of an homage to a classic of uh, Yorkshire pudding uh, back in England, but without doing just the straight Yorkshire pudding, you know. Um, we have an English breakfast with a banger sausage, some baked bean, you know, but that's pretty much where it where cool. gets, you know. Well, Chef Man, thanks. Thank you so much for coming down to join us. Um, I can't wait to get into Kitchen at Commons Club. I'm going to try that burger. I'm also going to try that yeah. fish and chips. It's the sounds- French toast, we've got a take on it, <laughs> the, the pancake, yeah. We'll oh. just have to do the whole menu. We're yeah. going to have to eat the whole <laughs> menu. Well, thanks so much for your time. Speaking of great chefs who are represented here at Virgin, um, Todd English is preparing to open his restaurant, Olives. He's going to be revisiting uh, that concept. Originally, the original Olives was at Bellagio, and I actually got to chat with Todd at the opening party and I asked Chef English you know what it was like knowing that he's going to be cooking for the beautiful people here at Virgin who were probably in diapers when he opened olives at at Bellagio. I'm very excited about it you know they're very savvy crowd they obviously you know are, are are students of cuisine and then you know I think there's a great new foodie group coming up they're they're but you know they're very conscientious of all the things around you know what's going on in the planet uh sustainability uh, plant-based, you know, all the things that uh, are important to me as well. And I think that are, you know, 
where the food world is going and very much important to what we do here at Olive. And another thing that I, I spoke with Chef English about was um, basically, did anyone at Virgin ever ask him to do something new? Well, you know, did, why, why go back and do olives when, of course, this is a brand new resort? No, they were 100% set on olives. When, and when Richard Bosworth came here and he, he came in, and he said, listen, we want olives here and uh, nothing else. And I said, you sure you don't want to take it to you know, another level? And he goes, no, we want the classic dishes with some new ones, obviously, and some things that we'll develop as we you know, grow and change in the next uh, few years. But we're gonna create something that is um, a, a really good, cozy dining room. I think people are back to that a little bit. You know, there's something that is really more intimate. And um, we don't need the fountains. So there's a little bit of um, Chef Todd English. Well, that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Al, it was protein-packed, wasn't it? Oh, man, this is great food that has arrived at our table since we went away for that break. That's right. Here at Cassie, they've brought us some mozzarella sticks, some thick meze plates with uh, some whipped ricotta and honey, this beautiful bread that we get to dip it in, mm. some hummus, and some dressed crudite, sir. Keep talking, I'm eating. All right, I'll keep talking then. We want to thank all of our guests this week, Chef David Worley here at the Virgin Hotel Casino. We want to thank Diana Edelman, Chef Pigione from Truth and Tonic. Of course, Al, all the great interviews you did, Chef Patrick, Chef Todd, Chef Chris, and the Red Rocker himself, Sammy Hagar. And if you like what you heard, please join us again next time. Honestly, if you didn't like what you heard, please join us again next time because we try to get better every week. We will drop a new episode every Friday. Next week, we're talking Italian with two of the best chefs in the Valley. One cutting edge, the other classic old school. Mmm, sounds like a fight brewing, huh? <laughs> a fight over the pasta. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But tell a friend, tell two. If you have three friends, tell all three of them about Food and Loathing. You can subscribe or follow on any podcast platform. And if you like us on Apple per se, maybe give us a five-star review. It really helps. If you don't want to, that's fine. You can always reach us directly by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. Al, I'm going to plug a few other of our socials, all right? You do that. If you want to jump on our Instagram, it's Food and Loathing Pod. If you want to see us on Facebook, search for Food and Loathing. On Twitter, we're just Food Loathing. And Al, don't forget, I have another podcast. It's called Awesome Movie Year. So if you want to listen to that, just search Awesome Movie Year wherever you are. Okay, and definitely make sure to check out that Instagram because you'll be able to see what we're eating on we're eating right now on that Instagram feed. With Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry.